0: We're going to be talking about choosing to be happy this morning for the next few moments. You know, last Sunday we took a tour through the nation's history. We did so endeavoring to discover what is our spiritual roots and our spiritual heritage. And it quickly became evident, I believe, to all of us that this nation was founded by men and women of faith who desired God's blessing upon this new fledgling nation. Among the many documents that we cited last Sunday was the preamble of the Constitution of the United States of America, which reads, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." Now I want you to take special note of that last phrase, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit, or the request of happiness, I believe is a interesting phrase here. These four words, I believe, describe the goal of nearly every person on planet Earth. For I've always, you know, thought, and I've always seen every individual Wanting to be happy. The pursuit of happiness is part of, I believe, of our God given hardwiring. From the youngest child to the oldest adult, there's an innate desire to be happy. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, you're saying, well, where is the book of Habakkuk? It's in the Old Testament. And if you start at Matthew and go towards the Old Testament five books back, you'll find and discover the book of Habakkuk. Here's what it says. Even though the fig trees are all destroyed, and there is neither blossom left nor fruit, though the olive crops all fail, and the fields lie barren, even if the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, notice what he says, in spite of all of that yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be happy in the God of my salvation. Look at that one more time, because it's filled with declarations. No matter what is going on, no matter what is going on in the culture, what is going on in the economy, and if you're in an agricultural place like this was written to, not having crops, famines on the future. There's a lot of darkness ahead of them. He said, yet in spite of all of this, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be happy in the God of my salvation. Now, friends, the Bible has a lot to say about a lifestyle of joy and happiness. You know, the sheer weight of Scripture alone lets us know the importance that God places upon this vital subject. The themes of rejoicing and joy and happiness, they're addressed more than 410 times in the Bible. You know, to the surprise of some, God is actually a God of great joy. In their minds, they picture God, this figure that sits upon a throne. He's kind of grumpy. He's got a bolt of lightning in one hand. He's ready to throw it at anyone that steps out of line. That's not the biblical view of God. God is a happy God, and I believe He desires to be worshiped by a happy people. Joy is one of God's attributes. I want you to look at Psalm 104, verse 31. It says, "The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. Aren't you glad for that? And the Lord shall rejoice in His works." You know, in the Genesis account of creation, we see God pausing between the various steps and days of creation. And he pauses and he declares, It is good. I can just imagine there's a twinkle in God's eye and a smile on his face when he looks at creation and he says, It is good. Matter of fact, he says, It is very good. One of the great benefits of salvation is the gift of God's joy. Joy is one of the key ingredients of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But notice there, the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, and it lists all nine. Choosing a life of joy and happiness is essential It is essential to our emotional, our physical, and our spiritual health. I read an article the other day in Psychology Today as I was studying and preparing for my message as I wanted to see how does science line up with the Word of God. And what I discovered was in Psychology Today, they say this about happiness and about joy. Those that are joyful and those that are happy they will extend their lives between seven and eight years. Now, if there's no other reason to be happy, (laughs) that's a good one right in and of itself. And if you doubt it this morning, when you have your last day and you know that you could have had seven to eight years more, I'm sure you'll think about this. And so choosing a life of joy, choosing it, is essential. You know, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22 says this, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. Now Proverbs 17 and verse 27 of the Living Bible reads this way, a cheerful heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit makes one sick. There's a book that is titled The Anatomy of an Illness. It's a fascinating book written by Norman Cousins chronicling his personal battle against a crippling terminal disease. With no known cure, Cousins set out to defeat this death sentence with happiness, joy, and laughter. He surrounded himself with joy and with laughter, and Cousins laughed his way back to health. And he writes his book telling how, just as the scripture says, that a merry heart is good like medicine. Remember that a merry heart doeth good like medicine. But we also need to remember that a broken spirit makes one sick according to Scripture. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 declares that there is a direct correlation between our joy and our daily strength. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Nehemiah said... This is after the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. It was to be a time of celebration. He says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your what? Say it. It is your strength. Now, friends, knowing what we know now, It's no small wonder, then, that Satan would want to rob us of our joy and of our happiness. For in robbing us of our happiness, he can deal a blow that affects us, body, soul, and spirit. Now, here are two things that we need kind of as a foundation as we continue on this morning. Number one, joy is a gift from God. Joy is not something this world offers. Joy is not the alignment of circumstances that give us what we call joy. Joy is a gift from God. And secondly, happiness is a choice that we must make. God gives us joy, and when we express that joy in everyday life, that is called living a happy life. It's like pulling Kleenexes out of the box. God gives us the box called joy, and we get to pull out of it every single day the happiness that we need for that day. Now there are some common misnomers about happiness. Number one would probably be that happy people, they've got it made, that's why they're happy. They don't face the same problems we face, and therefore they believe that happy people have no troubles. In reality, a survey shows that happy and unhappy people, have had very similar life experiences. Let me run that by again. They've discovered through surveys that those that are happy and those that are unhappy have had very similar life experiences. You see, life is a choice and happiness is a choice. Other misconceptions would include, you know, I'd be happier if I only had more time. I'm always under pressure and a Time crunch, if I had more time, I'd be more happy. If I had more money, I'd be happy. If I'd only married someone else, then I'd be happy. You better be careful if you ever say that one. I'd be happy if I had a different job, a better job. I'd be happy if I lived somewhere else. I don't like snow, I wanna see palm trees, I wanna see blue oceans, I wanna see all of this. I'd only be happy if that's where I lived. Friends, happiness is a choice. Let's look at some characteristics of happy people. Happy people, number one, they are content people. They're contented. You know the old saying, I complained about having no shoes until I met the man that had no feet. Things could always be worse. Listen to Habakkuk one more time with that in mind. Even though the fig trees are all destroyed and that there's neither blossom left nor fruit. When there's no blossom, it means there's no future fruit as well. And though the olive crops all fail and the field lie barren, and if the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice. Notice the I wills here. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be happy in the God of my salvation. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes and he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. He said, this is something you learn in life. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Say it. To be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Paul is saying, I know how to have nothing, and I know how to live having everything that I want. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So he is saying, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going on in the economy, no matter what goes on, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice as Paul writes to Timothy, he does not merely say that godliness is great gain, because we've all met godly people that are very discontented with life. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he goes on to explain, He says, for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. We come into this world literally naked and we leave this world not taking any of our world goods with us. And having food and raiment, let us therefore be what? Be content. Now Paul's comments here are directed to those who mistakenly thought that more money and more things would make them happy. And he is saying that is not where you find happiness. That is not where you find joy. Joy is found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you express that joy, it comes out as happiness. So he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. Now that word conversation here, is not so much speaking about a conversation of words like we would have with a friend or somebody on the street. In this sense, the word conversation means your lifestyle. So let's reread it, putting that in there. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness, which means always seeking, always longing, always wanting something more. He says, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The author is saying here, as long as we have Jesus Christ, we have everything in totality that we need to be happy. There may be other things in life that will add to it, but he says as long as we have contentment and we've got our contentment in our relationship, Jesus promised I'll never leave you, never forsake you. And the author of Hebrews says, that's good enough for me. Amen? Amen. That's good enough for us this morning. Happiness is a choice. And happy people are content people. Secondly, happy people are positive people. You know, I love the Apostle Paul's positive spirit. No matter how dark the hour, Paul could always see the sun shining on the other side or through the clouds. In Acts chapter 27, it records Paul's journey from Rome where his ship encountered a horrible storm at sea. And in this storm, it went on for days, and the mast of the ship snapped like twigs in the midst of the storm. It came such a time where they began to think they were going to run aground, so they threw the cargo and all the ships rigging overboard to lighten the ship. And everyone on board was seasick and they were fearing for their very lives. I want you to listen now to what Paul has to say in the midst of this storm. Now picture yourself, you're on a ship, you're in the uh, Aegean Sea, Adriatic, you're in that area of the world and this storm comes up, it catches you off guard. It is so strong, it's so unrelenting. Now the sails are broken off. The rudder is absolutely worthless. You've thrown all the tackle overboard. You know this is do or die. And here's what he has to say. This is Paul now. And now I exhort you, be of good cheer. Can you imagine the guy in a moment like what we just explained comes up on board and he says, Be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Now the first thing I would think of well, if the ship is going down and there's going to be no loss of life, how is that going to happen? How am I going to get safely to shore? Verse 23, here's how you know this is going to be true. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. You know, it's good to be with people that are on a mission Because in that mission, every person on board that ship was safe because God was going to preserve Paul and get Paul where he needed to be in Rome. Therefore, the best place we can be is around godly people that are serving God. And when you're serving God and serving God together, there's a safety in all of that. And so in verse 25, he goes on to say, Wherefore, sirs, be of good what? Be of good cheer. For I believe God. How many in the house today believe God? Hallelujah. We believe God, for I believe God, and it shall be even as it was told me. Friend, whatever you're going through this morning, there's a promise from God's Word. And that promise in God's Word is sure, and amen, the Bible says. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away, is what Jesus said. And so we know we can absolutely count on him. I went in to see my doctor, not uh, just a few weeks ago, and uh, we did all the blood work and everything, and he came back to me, he says, listen, he says, your blood work is so perfect, let me tell you this. He said, I don't even wanna see you back here. This is my surgeon, and this was the oncologist. I don't wanna see you for six months. And that six months is coming up in September, And he said this, and if in six months, your blood and all your tests is as good as they are today, I don't want to see you for another year. And I say, hallelujah. Paul says, be of good cheer, for I believe God. I believe God. What are you believing God for this morning? God is not going to fail you. God is on His throne, and He will remain on His throne, and He's as powerful today as He was when He said, let there be light, and God will bring light into your circumstances and into your situations. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Friend, I want you to know this morning, when the dust has settled, whatever you're going through in this moment, when the seas have calmed and the winds have ceased, I want you to know in that moment, you'll look back and you'll say, God brought me through, and God has turned what the devil meant for harm, turned it upside down, and he meant it for good. God's on his throne in your behalf. And we know... Paul says, we know this. We've experienced it over and over and over in so many ways. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Now in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul writes and he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. He is saying that no matter what circumstances I pass through, I'm passing through them. Whatever storm comes, I'm going through the storm, but I know this, that I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Now, I want you to remember here, Paul wrote this positive confession of faith. He writes it from a damp, rat-infested prison cell beneath the streets of Rome. How could he do this? You see, happiness is a choice. I've been in that prison cell... In the city of Rome, it is indeed a dark dungeon beneath the ground. It was part of a natural cave. There was nothing more than a hole in the ground that Paul was thrown into, unable to get out. I've stood there and I've wondered what kind of a a man could write what he writes in there. It was a man that had a happy heart, a happy soul, a happy spirit. You see, happiness is a choice. In that moment, you're going to blame God. He may have been blamed himself. I should have never said that I appealed to Caesar. He may have even said in that moment, those Jews, they're the ones to blame for this. They're the ones that said that I brought into the temple in Jerusalem, the uncircumcised and, and all of this. I, he could have been filled with anger over a lot of things, but he's filled with happiness because happiness is a choice, a choice that Paul made in that moment. You see, positive people, they are happy people. Number three, happy people are people people. Have you ever heard that statement, you know, he's a people person? He is one of those individuals, who just loves being around people, loves having relationships, loves you know chatting and talking with people. Happy people focus their attention on others. I was thinking of my mother. My mother, at the age of 100, made it her business to visit the old people in the assisted living center where she lived. And I'd say, Mom, what you doing today? And she'd say, well, I've gotta go visit. There's a new guy, he's 76 years old, and and I've gotta visit the old people. Here she is, 100. Those who focus on themselves find there's generally much to be concerned about and worried about. When you ask such a person, hey, how you doing today? You'll often get this long, drawn-out organ recital. When I say an organ recital, I'm talking about every organ in their body. I've got arthritis in my joints, esophagus reflux. I've got corns and bunions, not enough money, too many bills. The kids don't come and see me anymore. (laughs) And they give you the organ recital. Happy people. Happy people spend their time helping others. Happy people foster relationships with others. The Apostle Paul is seldom mentioned alone in Scripture. You'll often find there's always a couplet there. It is Paul and Silas. It is Paul and Bartimaeus. It is Paul and John Mark. Jesus lived his life the same way. You'll find Jesus spending his time with the 12 disciples, and then with that, with that inner circle, Peter, James, and John. You will seldom find, though you will find Jesus leaving the crowd, going away, spending time in prayer with the Father, but generally you'll discover that he is with others. I would just encourage you this morning be very careful. One of Satan's key tactics is to divide and conquer. To get you upset with one another, cause you to take and walk away from each other, and he wants to divide and conquer. That has been his MO since the beginning. Happy people are people, people. Happiness is a choice. Last of all, happy people are people of purpose. Let me ask you, why did you get up this morning? Now you'd say, well, Pastor, it's Sunday morning and I've come to the house of the Lord. It's not only the right thing to do, but it's what I want to do. And I am so grateful that you are in the house of the Lord today. And for those of you who have joined us online, I'm glad you have joined us as well. However, let me ask you, what gets you up on Monday morning? (laughs) What gets you up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What gets you up on Saturday morning? What is your purpose for living? What is it that just causes you to want to get out of bed and go hit it for another day? You see, happy people live for something bigger than merely their own self-interest. They live for more than making money, for the bigger house, for the nicer car, for the vacation home, or for retirement. Here's what they discovered. Seven out of 10 depressed people said their life had no real purpose. Living for oneself never has ever created a happy person. I would encourage you this morning to get involved. I would encourage you, whatever stage of life you're in, volunteer. Volunteer in some area of ministry. You know, volunteer in the nursery. Those little kids will love on you, and it will change your life. If all you do is hang around people that are complaining all the time, that's what you'll become in time. You know those little ones in the nursery? My little grandson, Cohen, and you know, Noah? Those little guys, let me tell you, spend a little time with them. They'll give you a run for your money. And when you're done, you'll say, hey, you know it's just good to be around these kids. Become a Royal Ranger leader. Some of you have skills and abilities to sow into the next generation. You can be a tremendous blessing. Work at a soup kitchen. Begin to ladle out soup to those that have absolutely nothing and hand them a sandwich. Volunteer in the hospital. You say, volunteer in the hospital? I'm not ready to do brain surgery. I hope not. But you know what you can do? You can be a great encouragement to somebody that's really facing a difficult and hard day. You can see them to the rooms when they come and a wheelchair and and wheel them back to their cars following surgery. You can be the first face and the last face they see. Let me encourage you. You can even go with us tonight. Me and my wife, we've signed up. We're excited to be able to spend time with the local ministry tonight and uh, the local world impact night that we have here to make a difference in our own city. It'll make a difference in your life. For everything you give, God seems to give you two back. Matter of fact, God seems to have a system. Whatever you give him, you cannot outgive give him. And if you give him time, he's going to give you back time. If you give him joy, he's going to give you back happiness. If you give him your finances, he'll bring back all that you'll need in every category of life for a lifetime. The Apostle Paul, he lived his life, and he lived it out for the furtherance of the gospel. Happiness is a choice. Happy people are people of purpose. Now let's just quickly review. Number one, joy is a gift. It comes from God. Number two, happiness, therefore, is a choice. We draw our happiness out of the joy which God gives us as a gift. Remember I said like the Kleenex box. God gives you this box of joy and out of it we draw out the happiness that we express throughout our day. Happy people are content people. They're content with little or with much. Content people. Happy people are positive people. They're like the Apostle Paul when everybody else is down in the mouth, seasick, thinking they're all going to drown and he comes and says, be of good cheer. And it was not based on just hopeful thinking. It was based on the promise that God had given to him, a rhema word. Happy people are people people. They understand this dynamic that God has created us to be in fellowship with him, in fellowship with one another. Here's what they've even discovered. At the age of 70 on, you know, the Bible says that God normally will give us between three score and 10, and four score years. That is simply 70 to 80 years. And that is still, even after all of these years, since that was was crafted by Moses, the man of God, and given to him by the Lord, that's about what the lifespan is of most every individual. At the age of 70, they say this, it's going to be the number of friends and friendships and relationships that you have built that's going to extend your life And it will be determined by the number of people that you have brought into your life. Happy people are people people. And happy people are people of purpose. I'm so glad that God has a purpose for your life and for my life. You're not just some wishful thing that ended up falling on the planet. You're designed by God. And the Bible says that the days of our life are all written in the book. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan is, he says, I give you my joy. It's not like the world gives. I give you a joy. A joy so that your joy might be full, might be complete, overrunning. And these simple steps, I believe, will help you when you put them into place. But it all starts with a relationship with our Creator. Remember, joy comes from God. There's no other source. You can't make it up, you can't buy it up. There's no other source. It is a source only available from God. And He wants to live inside of you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for those.